This film was approved under the Motion Picture Code of Self-Regulation. And now... We're thinking in terms of a film. The question is... What are we trying to do with this movie? By George. That is a good question. Is everybody happy? Let's go. Uh, welcome to 2016, Frownies. Uh, my name's Chris, and as you know, this is the show where we watch bad movies in search of variety and inspiration and laughs. Uh, <laughs> joining me each and every adventure is the dean of the Harrison Ford School of Swashbuckling, Paul. Happy New Year, sir. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> On this episode, we have some very special guests. To my right is educator and presenter, my talented and lovely wife, Colette, who didn't like me punching her just now. Uh, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Happy New Year in Canada. Canadian New Year, as Paul called it. Yes. Um, Starts tomorrow. <laughs> now you're going to confuse everybody. No, um, I invited her to the show because... She's an expert on tonight's film, thanks to her countless hours on the PlayStation 3 playing those Lego versions of the movie. <laughs> nice. Um, so you know the plot. <laughs> yeah. Um, we also have with us uh, illustrator, designer, and Paul's better half, Tina. Long time no chat. Oh, you made me sound awesome. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you are awesome. <laughs> this is uh, positive reinforcement, Chris. Nice. <laughs> I have to tell my, myself these things now. Um, so, uh, let's see, some other notes somewhere in my list. Uh, first up, I wanted to apologize to Paul because I believe at some point during the show's run, he said, let's never watch this movie that we're watching for tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and it was suggested by some listeners, and I put it in the vote for what movies we watch Uh a poll that I made last year. And I think this film, Indiana Jones and the kingdom of the crystal skull had the most votes in the poll. <laughs> so. I, maybe it's actually the listeners that are trying to spite me. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. I like this. All right. Whoever is listening right now, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Don't send me $1 billion. <laughs> um, because Paul will not see any of that money. <laughs> there's there's literally no way. We're trying to figure out how to transfer money between Canada and the United States, and there is no way. They've divided the entire thing by this, like, monetary-free border, and I, I just can't get it to Chris. I don't know how, and he can't get any to me either. So, Yeah, it's crazy. Actually, uh, totally not part of the podcast, but I signed up for Square Cash with my American debit card. And Square Cash was like, yeah, dude, we just need your zip code, bro. <laughs> and I was like, but I have a postal code. And so I typed it in and uh, it was like, yeah, that's not going to work. All right. <laughs> and then I went to my bank account for something completely unrelated, like to pay bills or sure. get paid by a client. Yeah. And I saw that Square pay Cash had done its like dollar transaction to make sure it worked. Hmm. <laughs> 
I was like, wow, they have some kind of a fancy program or whatever. Sure. Their back end yeah. works really well, but it didn't even wait for me to get my zip code in. But then when I go back to Square Cash, it's like, yeah, you just need to put your debit card information in. I'm like, I did. Right. You charged it. <laughs> okay. So, yes, this is a sequel. Imagine that. To a franchise that ended 19 years ago, <laughs> when this movie was made in 2008, that is. Um, box Office Mojo tells me that the budget was $185 billion. Uh, the current domestic gross was $317 million worldwide, $786 million. It's not too shabby for a movie that is sort of controversial. Yeah, um, it's not bad at all, actually. I it seems like there had been rumors of an Indiana Jones four though for um probably since the last one came out honestly but I can remember uh it getting pretty fevered at the last like two or three years before this movie finally was announced and then came out. Yes, um, some of the things that I caught uh yeah, um in research uh where where did I write that down um. Yes, so, uh, there was uh, the company. Is it Paramount? They they actually registered like five different sequel names for this movie to throw people off. <laughs> um, and one of the, the extras, other four of which are still going to get made. Yes, probably true. <laughs> the the extra uh, one of the extras violated the non disclosure act and gotten so much trouble for that. Wow. Um, he like gave up information to like a local newspaper and it got covered nationally. And then the local pulled the story from their website and yeah. <laughs> and he just got settled for an undisclosed amount. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I also read that, um, someone broke into Spielberg's production office and stole production photos, uh, you know, because this is big spoilery stuff we want to learn about. And so the L.A. County police set up a sting operation and the thief got uh, two felony charges and sentenced to two years and four months in prison <laughs> for stealing <laughs> photos of the movie mm-hmm. Crystal Skull. Yes. That's going to be interesting at job interviews. Indiana I Jones says I have a prison felon- breakout. <laughs> yes. Yes. It says I have a felony, but it was for good cause. I was stealing photos of the Indiana Jones movie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> then after the judge saw the movie, he let him back out. Yeah. Um, in 2008, one of the things we like to do on the show is uh, read the box office mojo.com's uh, list of movies in 2008. This movie is number three. It is above Wally. It's above Tina's favorite Twilight <laughs> and, and Quantum of Solace. Um, any idea what the top two movies are for 2008? Uh, no idea. It's uh, The Dark Knight. And then number two is Iron Man. Oh, that uh, was 2008? Crazy. Those make sense. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, it's just been eight years since then. No problem. We're not old or anything, <laughs> Tina. It's cool. Uh, <laughs> In those eight years, Iron Man itself has produced an entire trilogy. This is true. 
the other thing I thought was really totally awesome about the making of this movie, uh, Spielberg was like, yo, dog, I'm kind of like a big director, so I don't want to go anywhere to film this. Excuse me. I want to stay in the States with my family. So it was all filmed in the States. Uh, most of the Peruvian jungle stuff was filmed in Hawaii. <laughs> um, and that's funny because it's the biggest film shot in Hawaii since our favorite water world. <laughs> oh, nice. I thought you were going to say hard ticket to Hawaii. Ooh. <laughs> but water world makes more sense. <laughs> True. Because water world had a budget. Right. Correct. Yes. Although snakes coming out of a toilet trump uh, Kevin Costner every day. so Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The other interesting fact, because my wife, have you been there twice or just once in Belize? Once. You went to Belize once mm-hmm. teaching. Um, the director of Arch- the Institute of Archaeology of Belize sued Lucasfilm, Disney, and Paramount Pictures on behalf of the country of Belize for using the Mitchell Hedges skull likeness in the film. Hmm. <laughs> I thought that was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, my spiel. My spiel that I found. Is this, uh, the, uh, is this the only Indiana Jones movie that happens primarily in America? It seems like the other ones all happen, like, in Europe and the Middle East. That's a really good question. Temple of Doom happens in, like, India. Yeah. Hmm. Of course, I guess it makes... It, it kind of makes more sense because the other the other movies are all happening uh, in the late 30s and, and early 40s and during World War II, and so most of the... And most of the action is about the Nazis, so they kind of have to take place in in and around Europe for that to make sense. Yeah, I I did read somewhere that, like, Russia was like, hey, that's not cool. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, sorry, the movie's set in 57. Like, we need a Yeah, what do you want? (laughs) And it was the Cold War. Yes. Um. There, I forgot to, like, tweet and things. (laughs) (laughs) I just jumped right in. Okay. So, yeah, that's, that's, I don't know. I think the only thing, I don't know if it's canon. That's a good uh, question. Uh, But there was also that TV show, like, what was it? The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles or whatever. Yep. Oh, I was so in love with that kid. River Phoenix. Yeah. (laughs) Was it River Phoenix who played it, who was in yeah. the show too? Uh, he was. I don't know if he was in the show. Was he in the TV show? I thought so. I thought that was one of the reasons why he was not, uh, or why the show sort of didn't keep going was because he was gone. Oh, but maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> Let's looking it up. Research on the go. Real time follow up. <laughs> I was just pointing at the mic because you were talking to me and not to the audience mm-hmm. of I don't know who's listening. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. So I will I will just uh, jump right in with the uh, what, what do you what did you find? 
Um, I found that River Phoenix, who played young Indy in the Indiana Jones and Last Crusade, was offered the title role in oh. the Chronicles, but turned it down because he did not want to return to television. Oh, so he was in the movie, but not the show. Mm-hmm. So who is the boy that Tina was in love with? Uh, the, the kid that was actually in the Chronicles. Yeah. Sean Sean pa- Patrick Flannery. Yeah, his picture isn't very. Maybe his young boy. He looks like a bad boy now. <laughs> <laughs> what else was he in? Sounds familiar. Yeah. Does it say what other movies he was in? Um. Doopy-doo. Listen live to people surfing the internet. <laughs> oh, he was in Boondock Saints. Nothing that I would ever watch is what he's been in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sean Patrick Flannery. <laughs> oh, Dexter. As I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> the Young and the Restless. As I was saying. That, that gives him, like, heartthrob cred if he was on a soap. Right. All right. Anyway, I will uh, I will jump into the synopsis. You guys can just go ahead and do your interrupt me with likes and writes and rewrites and dislikes. Please feel free to. We will do so. There will be Excellent. many. There will be many. Although I, I have to say, just <clears throat> as an opening statement. Um, that I don't I don't remember saying let's never watch this movie for film frown. Um but it was not as bad as some of the movies we've watched for this show. In fact, yes. I I would actually rank this fairly highly uh in comparison to many of the movies we've watched for the show. Well, and Rotten Tomatoes ranks it like 75% or something quite high. Yeah, yeah, it gets a the movie gets a bad rap for like the nuking the fridge thing. Yeah, um, right. And also, it's funny because after watching the movie, I mean, because you know about the nuking the fridge thing, like it seems more outlandish later. Spoilers for the upcoming podcast that you're listening to at this very moment. But <laughs> when Shia LaBeouf is Tarzaning with a bunch of CG monkeys, that seems yeah. Almost less realistic than someone surviving in a lead fridge. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Um, totally agree. Because uh, it's totally obvious to me he doesn't have the upper arm strength. Yeah, he so. is not LaBeouf enough. <laughs> <laughs> You're so awful. <laughs> uh, Being a so, dad did something to your brain. Dad puns. 20, 2016, I vowed to do more puns. That was my New Year's resolution. <laughs> I'm working them in. I like this. Uh, I like this resolution. <laughs> I think there should be a live scoreboard somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I need to load the uh, chat bot. Yeah. I need to load the Mario coin sound effect in. <gasps> Ooh. I don't, I don't really have. I had like. <laughs> that doesn't. I don't even yeah, want to tell not, you what that's that not even close enough. Man, I don't even know what that is. I need to load some real sound effects into the soundboard instead of just using the ones that came with the app. I still want breaking glass for some reason. 
<laughs> that's I, now we need to do a video podcast. That was a great <laughs> look you gave me. Um, so the film opens with an army caravan of trucks driving in the desert with some teenagers in a hot rod trying to get them to race. Um, it seems sort of like a bit of a nod to George Lucas's American Graffiti, and a nice. It's a nice way to open the film. I feel like. So many films these days are just like, hey, we're just going to do like a flyover of a city. That's the beginning of the movie. Um, so it's pretty good. Uh, the army shows up to a gate of some kind of base and they're told, big test today, you know, enter. And uh, they shoot the guards. Apparently, these are Ruskies in disguise. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. So they get to this giant building at the base and they open the trunk and they pull out a man. I can't tell you who it is because we need to spend another 45 seconds doing the reveal. Um, Mm -hmm. Like his hat falls out or something and he has to pick it up. And then there's the silhouette against the car. And Oh my gosh, it's Indiana Jones. Turns out. (laughs) So, so old. It's true. And it's like one of his first lines here is he, uh, he says uh, he, that they're too old for this. <laughs> I didn't remember that. That maybe maybe that's uh, what uh, influenced me. That's one of the uh, that's one of the lines that made the trailer. I can remember, and I can remember watching it in the trailer, and I was like, "Yeah, it's kind of funny." And then it being the very first—I I don't know if it's the very first line that Harrison Ford says, but it's it's pretty close to one of his very first lines in this movie. Like, we're getting too old for this, and I'm like. All right, we've already broken like the the bad movie rule, which is if the characters themselves can't believe that they're in the movie, we need to stop making the movie. <laughs> <laughs> or we need to rethink the characters a little. Yes. Uh let's see, his buddy Mac is with him too, and the Russians are Apparently, after uh, Dr. Jones or kidnapped him because they want him to find something in this uh, giant warehouse. Um, you know, the warehouse from the Raiders of the Lost Ark film, the end. Um, and so as they go in, the doors close and each door has a number on it. Five and one. We're in Area 51. What? Okay. Um, so, <laughs> Dr. Kate Blanchett. <laughs> who I just like calling Colonel Doctor now. Um, and she's like, you, you've got to find this thing that you examined before. It's a corpse, um, which sounds very charming. Uh, mm-hmm. So he immediately asks for some bullets. And then they like laugh at him. And right. he's like, yeah. no, I need the gunpowder. Um, and so then it looks like they're emptying out like a grenade in his hand. And so he throws the gunpowder in the air, and it was like Colette's favorite part. Oh, yeah, it was like this like <laughs> mysterious cloud that floated down like the top of the warehouse for an unnaturally long time. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. <laughs> Typically, magnetism would make it take like the shortest possible path. Right, instead of hovering like in slow motion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it was like, um, yeah, it was just like, if there's that big of a magnetic field, I feel like there'd be a lot more problems. (laughs) (laughs) 
Like, you wouldn't need to throw the gunpowder in the air because you would just need to go where every metal piece of thing in that warehouse is stuck to whatever is making this field. Right. Well, and wouldn't... If, if this is if this is the Area 51, like, Warehouse 13, basically, uh, where they're sticking everything that they don't know what to do with or they don't understand or they've, they've finished studying it, uh, the top men have finished studying it, um, then wouldn't there be possibly many things that have, like, strange magnetic fields involved mm-hmm. in them in this warehouse? Um I, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's maybe that's why it uh, floats. Now I'm inventing headcanon uh, because <laughs> it's very confused about which magnetic thing to go to first um, or which thing is stronger. But it's still like it's a little bit weird. You don't want to think about this part of it too much, like most of the rest of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, we follow the powder trail. And then uh, he gets some shot from some shotgun shells, and ta-da, he finds the crate. And they open the crate, and they pull out this sort of metal case. I guess coffin would be the right word. And uh, it's pulling at all the soldiers' belt buckles and their dog tags with its magnetism. Mm-hmm. And uh, our, do you want to take the movie to school with you since you guys are doing magnets right now? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure it's uh, scientifically accurate enough for school pass. For grade two. Um, I, uh, I do like, though, like parts of this movie um, – I like because they they're trying to feel they're trying to like tickle the nostalgia of the original um, proper Indiana Jones trilogy. And uh, I I like that they're in this warehouse. It's kind of implied that this is the same warehouse potentially that the um, Ark of the Covenant ended up in in the first movie. Um, And uh, I can't remember if they have like. A shot of that of the crate um, mm-hmm. where they left yeah. it. They did at the very end, like as they're leaving the warehouse. At the very end, it's yeah. sort of like it somehow is mysteriously cracked open and shining. Ah, mm. oh yeah, yep, yep. Um, but the thing that I the thing that I don't like about it uh, is that um, at least at the beginning when they're still outside, it it feels really painfully obvious that they're on a set. Um, like the lighting feels like kind of soap opera. E it doesn't feel like they're outdoors at all. Um, which just feels really out of place in an Indiana Jones movie that they would be when they're not indoors, they would be on a set somewhere. And maybe this is to that whole, you know, Spielberg's a big director and he doesn't want to drive anywhere anymore. Uh, so he just had them build everything close by so that he could drive down the road. But feels that that scene really stuck out to me uh, on a second viewing that um, it was so produced. It was so like overly produced instead of feeling uh, kind of rough like a Indiana Jones movie would. Yeah, I, f- I felt the same way the first time I saw this in theaters. Like, it was very, yeah, it seemed like too much CG. But then one of the one of the interviews I was reading with Spielberg was he, he was saying, like, and this was from, like, 2008 or 2010 or something when it came out, 
on video. Or he was like, you know, we did a lot of practical effects because, you know, we didn't want to fill it with a lot of CG. And I was mm-hmm. like, boy, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> like, I mean, I think you've got CG prairie dogs in the beginning. Like, yeah. So anyway, they they load this uh, metal box in a truck. Um, and I think, uh, well, Colonel Doctor rips it open and examines it. And then Indy makes his move. Uh, he knocks out a guy and gets his whip back because Indiana Jones play the theme. Um, <laughs> and he whips a gun to Mac and then threatens Colonel Doctor and tells everyone to put their guns down or she gets it. And unfortunately, it turns out that Mac has double-crossed him. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> So he runs and Chase is given. <laughs> <laughs> I like this. I like this action scene. I mean, most of the action scenes, I think, in this are, um, aside from the ones that are, like, Im- implausible altogether, um, I think they're fairly well executed. Um, I I kind of enjoy the part where he... Uh, he uses the whip and he tries to swing onto the onto the one and then he's just doesn't quite get there and ends up in the truck. Uh I enjoy that mostly because uh Harrison Ford heroes being slightly foiled when they try to do something is always he always plays that well. Very true. Yeah, it's fun how the action seamlessly moves moves from like <clears throat> the warehouse to the bunker to the rocket sled. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you travel quite a bit in this first in this first action scene, but I think that, you know, that's pretty common in in Indiana Jones movies. The action usually takes you it's not just it's not just that there's a lot happening, but it's also always, you know, in motion and happening at high speed. So yeah, it's a uh, <clears throat> I really like that too. All right. And so, after Chase is given, the they the sled drives them to the desert into the desert g force face and all and suddenly it's night jones makes his way through the desert and it's daytime again and he's found a town but it turns out to be no ordinary town right cuz he he like he breaks into this house and uh he hears uh he hears a tv on and he sees this family sitting at the couch and then he realizes that the uh, family sitting at the couch are mannequins. Uh, and then he hears the siren, uh, and it turns out that the uh, the little town that he has found himself in is not actually a real town. It's a test town that is about to get nuked. And even though I had played the um, Lego game <laughs> before watching this, <laughs> it took my brain a while to figure out what actually was going on. I'm like, why are there mannequins? This is really weird. Like, I didn't, my brain didn't kind of automatically go to like the 1950s nuclear testing. So it took my brain mm-hmm. a moment to actually register what was happening. Yeah. Um, it's really kind of surreal in a way, and it's fun. Um, <clears throat> And he, uh, the Russians are actually, they've actually followed him here. But when they hear the sirens for the test, they they drive off without him and he's like yelling at them. (laughs) And this is the beguiled part of the film because he goes back into the house after shouting at them and uh, 
he like looks up the chimney. He's like trying to find a place to like fight and cover. And then he empties the fridge, which we are told is lead lined when he opens the door. Um, and this is the famous uh, jump the shark where Fonzie jumps a shark in <laughs> in California in Happy Days, which is now <laughs> the name for when shows uh, do something crazy. Is now replaced with nuke the fridge, and uh, I read in a couple of sites that uh, in interviews um, Spielberg admits that this was his idea, not Lucas's. But then Lucas is like, "No, he's just trying to like protect me. It was my idea." But either way, Spielberg's like, "Ah, eh, whatever. It's kind of funny that we're now forever in pop culture because we took over the jump to the shark phrase with nuke the fridge." <laughs> so yes, yeah, so he gets in the fridge and. There's a very, I just posted it to Twitter and to Facebook when we went live, but uh, it's a very interesting and fun shot of like everything blowing up like Terminator 2 and then like the fridge going flying as like the bad guys in their car driving off. And like it looks very much like the TARDIS in the picture I posted. So I was going to say, I was going to comment that this had to have been one of uh, one of the last um, nuclear A-bomb tests that they did. But as it turns out, I would have been wildly wrong because uh, the United States and several other countries continued to test nuclear weapons until the early 90s. Um, they did, however, in the... It looks like 60s, assuming Wikipedia is actually correct. Um, <laughs> they did sign a treaty that said that they wouldn't test it in the test them in the atmosphere or in outer space anymore. Um, so they stopped doing things like uh, using bombs on tiny little islands in the mm-hmm. Pacific, uh, and they moved to solely underground testing. Um, so the 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 demonstration test that we see in this movie is actually an atmosphere test that would have been uh, probably one of the last few atmosphere tests that were done prior to this treaty being signed a few a few years after the movie takes place. And then North Korea to bring it back to modern day. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> Turns out they didn't sign that treaty. No. <laughs> Probably not. Of course, they probably they may not have existed at the time either. It's so it's true. It's true. So we uh, we cut to him being decontaminated de- and questioned by the FBI agents who think he's working with the Soviets. <clears throat> but his uh, bro, General Ross, comes in and vouches for him. And then uh, we cut to his class at school, and he's teaching, and uh, <clears throat> He gets interrupted and he learns that he's been put on indefinite leave of absent because of the suspicion of his involvement. Um, And he's completely unhappy with that, but his friend, the dean, couldn't do any more for him. And he's like, well, you suck. And uh, his friend's like, well, I lost my job. (laughs) I was fired for getting you that leave of absence. So that's not very fun. And then this we get a shot of. Um, guys from the other movie, Marcus, was it? Yeah, that was, was he in both the movies or just the last one, Last Crusade? I honestly haven't watched any of the movies in other than when they first came out. So, yeah, there's Marcus, um, the older gentleman, and then, of course, his dad, Sean Connery. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, we see pictures of them because they have both 
since passed. Um, <clears throat> so Jones is like, I'm out of here. And he's leaving town on a train when a greaser on a motorcycle stops him and says uh, <laughs> his buddy Harold Oxley was kidnapped after finding a crystal skull. And it's Shia. Yay. Enter LaBeouf. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. No, that's okay. Um, and his name is Mutt. Mutt Williams. His self-named name. And the First Crusade. I don't know. <laughs> I, as I was writing that note down, I was like, wait. That's kind of funny because in The Last Crusade, Sean Connery's famous line is, we named the dog Indiana. Right. So then his, oh, we don't know yet, but then Shia LaBeouf is named Mutt. Um, <laughs> so uh, <clears throat> now is our favorite time on Film Frown. It's exposition time in the movie. So Jones tells Shia about the Crystal Skull legend, and there's this lost city of gold called Akator. We get all that good information, and uh, Shia's like, hey, I got this letter from Ox, or Oxley. They all call him Ox, um, and uh, he's like, it contains this crazy riddle, and we're like, yay, mystery. Um, <laughs> but the KGB are there, and they're like, hey, we kind of want you to know, have that letter, thanks. And so we get more chase, another chase scene, all through... Uh, I think it's called Marshall is where Indiana Jones teaches in the movie, but mm -hmm. it's uh, the actual Yale campus um, <laughs> where Steven Spielberg's son was going. So interesting. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember much about this little chase scene except for like, you know, the fight in the little cafe where they were having their chat where it was sort of like the jocks versus the greasers. Mm -hmm. Yep. That was their distraction to get away. Oh, and then there's like the Indiana Jones on the back of a motorcycle. Yes. Um, yeah. Goes through the oh. car, fights, and then goes on the other side back onto the bike. Right. That was, uh, yeah, interesting. And there's the old ride the mo motorcycle through the library routine. <laughs> yes. Yes, that old trope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where he, of course, uh, runs into a student that asks him a question, uh, which he answers. And then as he rides away, he tells the students that uh, if you want to do anything great as an archaeologist, you have to get out in the field. Right. Get out of the library. Um, so now it's time for the plane ride and map graphic as the two head to Peru to find Oxley. Um Jones uh, learns more about Mutt in the plane ride. Uh, he quit school and he likes motorcycles. Can you tell all that information without us? <laughs> anyway. Um, oh, but we also learned another very important thing is that he was quite good at fencing when he was at school. Mm -hmm. um, so they get to Peru and they go to the local psychiatric hospital is what Wikipedia told me as I was writing the synopsis. Uh, <laughs> that's a very generous term, but okay. Um, and uh, apparently Oxley has gone a little cuckoo since he had a little chat with the crystal skull. Um, 
So they find his scribbles on the wall on the floor of his cell that lead them to the grave of Francisco de Orlano. Orlano? I don't know. <laughs> I ruined that. They lead him to the grave of a conquistador who searched for the city. Orellano. Uh, ooh, well done. Um, so they discover the skull at the grave after lots of hijinks. It was a. It was like we went into a grave and then we went into more of a grave, and it was. It was like a never-ending. They should have been like in the next country over by the time there was all the walking. <laughs> um. So, yeah, and there's like scorpions that Mutt seems to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, good times. Uh. They were actually attacked by some weirdo locals in the graveyard as well. Do you remember that? The crazy people? Those are, those are the crazy people in your Lego game. Yep. Yep. Um, and uh, I didn't, I noticed in the credits, one of them <laughs> was our Film Frown alum, Ernie Race Jr. So <laughs> nice. I didn't, uh, I didn't recognize him. Me neither. I was like, I have to go back. <laughs> Um, so they leave the gravesite only to get found by Mac and the Soviets who, uh, then take them to their camp in the jungle, uh, where they find Oxley and Shia's mother, who happens to be Marion from the Raiders film. At this point, for some reason, Indiana Jones is in like a dentist chair (laughs) and he's like, Strapped in, and Jones is or uh, Mac is a little drunk, and he like sneaks in there, and he's like, "Really, I am a CIA double agent or something like that," to uh, regain Jones's trust. Well, he alludes to it, but he doesn't actually say it. He tries to like do the wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> and uh, Colonel Doctor is like, "Here's the deal: Oxley is cuckoo bananas because." He looked into the eyes of the skull, so uh, we can't understand what he's saying. So we're going to have you look into the skull, and then um, you can translate what he says. And I, then I was like, I mean, you know, I actually, like, like you said, this movie isn't a bad, it gets a bad rap. But uh, for me, it's always like, when you leave the movie and you start thinking about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I was like, so wait, why did we need the alien body from the beginning of the film? It really hasn't served us much. Right. We yeah. really need. So I was like, that's weird. And then also it's the whole bad guys don't care about anything kind of movie trope so why didn't she just stick one of her soldiers in the chair and make them stare at the skull right yeah but anyway that's just me being a jerk (laughs) so uh she's she's very excited because she thinks the crystal skulls belong to an alien life form and hold great psychic power and that finding more of the skulls in akator will grant the soviets the advantage of psychic warfare right (laughs) Right. Which, you know, is it's kind of another um I mean the way that this plays out, uh spoiler alert, 
it's is kind of similar to how the um how the search for the uh holy grail turns out in which the the bad guys are you know hungry for power to their own detriment or hungry for the the um uh to harness this mysticism which is probably a uh continuing theme in all of these indiana jones movies um in this case, I think it almost goes a little bit too far in terms of trying to turn it into science, like the fact that the you know the skulls are crystal and they and they have magnetism to them and they like do things to your mind when you stare into them. It feels more sciency than magicy to me, and so it doesn't quite connect with the earlier movies as much. But it's mm. the same kind of running theme, uh, being like the bad guys just want to use the power as a weapon instead of uh, using the power for, um, you know, knowledge and good or just putting it aside because they can't handle it yet. Right. Yeah. See, and I, it's interesting that you said it like that because I've, I was trying to come to grasp with uh, something similar as uh, I was uh, trying to sleep after we watched the film because like I was, thinking very similarly that like the previous films have sort of you almost want to put these films in the genre of fantasy mm-hmm. be- because of the magical things that happen with these artifacts that Indy finds um, and then all of a sudden in this last one we've got aliens and sci-fi and it's I don't think it's it's impossible, but it does seem like there are very few fictional universes where those paths ever cross. Like you're either on the fantasy side where you can do magic or you're on the sci-fi side where there's hovering this and that and laser beams. So (laughs) yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's an awkward mix for sure. Um, so anyway, she sits, uh, the skull, uh, in front of Indiana. Um, and if you've never seen the movie and you're listening to our podcast, uh, I guess we should probably say, yes, these crystal skulls are very much elongated and alien looking. Um, so she puts it on the table and uh, Joan stares at it and they, they did a pretty good job. Like There wasn't a lot of effects or anything. It was just lighting and acting acting (laughs) Uh, and so she uses the skull to enable him to understand Oxley and find the way to Akator Um, en route Jones learns that Mutt is really his son and now he's super mad and wants him to finish school because I think earlier he was telling him, like in Peru, like he was like, "What do you like to do?" And he's like, "This and that." He's like, "Well, you don't have to go to school." Yeah, but now it's a big deal. Yes, that was before I was your father. <laughs> yes, yeah. <clears throat> so they uh, they take over their truck that they're riding in the back of with hijinks. Um, actually, <laughs> Indy, like then jumps back in and grabs like a bazooka and he aims it at this like giant machine that's like basically cutting down the forest so they can drive through it. 
and like this blade goes flying through all the cars. Kind of fun. Um, and so this is our next little action sequence with uh, sword plays and bazookas, like I said, and lots of ants. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and the ants uh, are hungry. Yes, <laughs> hungry for flesh. <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Well, basically, it's just uh, a car chase again as they're trying to catch up and get the skull right, um, because the skull and uh, Oxley are in a different vehicle. I think. Well, the skull kind of goes back and forth in the car chase. Like, it gets tossed and reclaimed and back and forth quite a bit. Yeah, from one vehicle to the other. And, and uh, there's a great scene where, like, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but, uh, like, Indiana Jones is like, hey, aim for that uh, amphibious vehicle over there. Because they want to get in that instead of the truck they're in. I don't know, maybe because it's a little more quicker and agile. Um, or, I mean, I guess he does know where he's going because he knows the poem that Oxley sent and there are three mm-hmm. drops. Um, and uh, so anyway, they they sort of get their way to that vehicle and knock the guy out of there. And it's got like a machine gun on the front of it, but... For whatever reason, Mutt decides to grab a sword instead because, you know, fencing school. <laughs> right. And he gets into a little fencing match. Go with match. what you know, Mutt. Go with what you know. <laughs> right. A fencing match with the Colonel Doctor. Um, now, while we're talking about the Colonel Doctor, or at least mentioning the Colonel Doctor, is there any... Does she actually, aside from just being Russian... Does she actually do anything bad in the movie? Hmm. She's isn't she like Western Ukrainian officially? Yes. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, aside aside from being affiliated with the USSR <laughs> essentially, it I she steals yeah, I guess you know she steals. She steals from the United States government. Kidnaps. Um, but de- like, does she does she actually murder anybody? Does she? Is there any? I don't get the feeling that she has any truly sinister motivations. Like even at the even at the very end, she's going like, "I want the knowledge," and she's a fanatic. But yeah, she's a fanatic. But but I I don't get the sense that she's like actually evil. Mm. I don't know. It's a good it's a good point because I feel like in the other um, movies, like in Thinking the Last Crusade too, like there is that um, nemesis woman who um, they always seem to make in those movies a little bit flirty, like the you know Bond movies where it's like, yeah, I'm a villain, but you want to flirt with me too. <laughs> yeah. So sure. maybe I'm not all that bad, you know, like, so yeah, it's, it's true. Um, but poor Mutt, he's, uh, fighting her from his mom's driving one vehicle and some other guys driving the vehicle that, uh, Colonel Doctor's in, so they're fighting on the back, and then uh, poor Shia gets stuck with feet on both cars and spreading his legs and plants hitting him in his uh, his bathing suit uh, region. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and poor um, indeed. Yes, and so uh, eventually he gets 
uh, caught on a vine and he disappears from the vehicle. And then as they're like watching him disappear, they don't realize that in front of them is uh, a ramp from the production crew. I mean, I mean, nope, they they just hit something and go flying into this sandy area. And it looks like they've landed in a giant uh, ant. Um, what do you call it? Anthill. Yeah. So, yep. so they abandon the vehicle that's like propped up on the anthill. Meanwhile, the Soviets come like flying in and land on another anthill. And that's when we see the ants come out in their car. Yeah. And, and they're not uh, happy. No. And <laughs> their hill has been messed with. They are giant. And, uh, and Indy like calls them like Sifu or something like that. Uh, and he's like, we got to get out of here. Run, 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 run. And so <laughs> everyone's running. And, uh, Colonel Dr. Kate Blanchett, she grabs like a vine and climbs up it. And these angry ants are like stacking themselves up just to get at her. Mm-hmm. They're not happy. Right. And, uh, one ants of the, do do that, by the way. <laughs> they, they, they go after Kate Blanchett. <laughs> they, uh, they will, uh, they'll build like bridges uh, out of each other, essentially, to like cross, uh, cross spaces and things like that. No climb, climb up on top of each other to reach things. Ants are amazing. They are pretty crazy. It's true. The only thing I know about ants is like, I think I saw it on, I must have saw it on a documentary or some TV show, but the only thing I know about ants is they actually, uh, they care for their dead as well. Mm. So um, when an ant dies, it's like some kind of secretion of a smell or something that ants can pick up. So... Mm-hmm. <laughs> When scientists were trying to figure this out, I watched the like study on this uh, documentary or TV show on Discovery or something. So they took this like scent out of a gland of an ant and they just put it on another ant that was alive. And so they would like pick him up and bury him and then he would dig his way out and they'd be like, wait, you're dead and put him back. Like it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, but it sounds cruel too. <laughs> right. It is. It is a little bit cruel, but on the other hand. I just like the I, I like to envision a series called Steve the Undead Ant. Yes. <laughs> His friends are like, zombie. <laughs> yeah. He's like, no, guys, it was this evil scientist. Really? Yeah. In the human world. Yeah. Until he embraces it, he's like, I'm dead. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but it's like, hey, don't eat that. That's mine. No, oh, I'm dead. I didn't eat it. I read a really good book that was from the point of view of ants. Anyway, off topic. From the point of view of ants? Yeah, it was really good. What's it called? I'll have to look it up. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so what's interesting is like uh, one of the secondary baddie guys, like another colonel or something, he, him and Indy keep fighting. Um, I guess I skipped the part because I was coughing to death. Uh when they were on the rocket sled, those two were fighting. And then when the rocket sled took off, we got their G-force faces. Um, but anyway, they start fighting again. Um, and the ants are swarming around them. But uh, we learn, like, uh, Oxley takes the skull out of the bag. And now the ants are like, whoa, we don't want anything to do with that thing. So they, like, walk around the skull. Mm, and, mm-hmm. and so uh, Indy and this... Uh, Russian guy, they the Soviet, they fight each other while Oxley sort of keeps the ants at bay and it's like a little ring for them to fight in. And they keep trying to knock each other into the ants. 
of course, our hero wins. And then um, this guy gets swarmed by ants and eventually taken into their ant hill. That's a very gruesome scene. Mm-hmm. And very CG, very CG. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, the ants were not a practical effect. <laughs> no, no. But it's it's interesting. Like, I don't know what year and even if I want to, like, use my very loud keyboard under the microphone here. But uh, I feel like this movie is much, what do I want to say, newer than um, those golden, the Golden Compass movie, which was the other film that I think, like, when they do CG during the daytime, it's really awful, <laughs> which is why all the movies make it, like, really dark with CG stuff yeah, yeah. back in the early 2000s. <laughs> so, uh, um, 2007. Golden oh, really? Compass. Yeah. So I think that's part of the reason you and I are kind of put off a little bit by some of these like CG like stuff is like, you know, the, the idea is like, let's make it really dark and then we'll do CG. And then when it comes to the opposite, they're like, okay, let's just make it crazy hella bright. (laughs) (laughs) So everything looks fine and shiny. Right. Uh, Yeah. But anyway, uh, so it's interesting. This part I was really confused at because uh, he knocks that guy out and then it's time to get the gang back together and they're all running. And then here comes Marion um, in the car. And I was like, wait, where did she get the car? I thought it was like stuck on the end. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they, they all uh, jump in the car and they drive off and Kate uh, Blanchett finds herself like another car, and goes after them, and um, they're on driving really close to this cliff, and so Kate Blanchett keeps like ramming into them, trying to push them off, and it doesn't look good for them. Uh, they keep like losing a wheel off the side, and uh, we're in real trouble here. But that's okay because it's Mutt to the rescue because he's now Tarzaning through the vines, <laughs> and he leaps into Kate Blanchett's car. But Tarzaning with greaser monkeys. Like, they had the same hair. That's right. Yeah. Well, that's why they helped him. They recognized <laughs> their own. Um, <laughs> the LaBeouf. So, uh, so, so, yeah, this, that part I thought was worse than, like, the fridge. Like, he, he wasn't as... They didn't do the, like, swinging as convincing as, like, Spider-Man movies. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So eventually, uh, they, um, let's see, eventually they end up, uh, getting all back together in one car and there's still some more Soviets chasing after them. And, uh, Marion knows like just over the cliff is the river, but no one else really knows how far it is away. So she's just like driving straight for it. Everyone's freaking out. They're like, you have to stop. (laughs) And they just leap off the cliff and into a tree and slowly fall into the water because the tree like makes their descent slower. Sure. And then it snaps back up and knocks a bunch of uh, Soviet bad guys off the side of the cliff. Um, So that was nice. (laughs) Um, and uh, 
So then uh, Jones and the mystery team, uh, they're in the river and they're excited that they got away. And then they hear a scary noise. And then Oxley's like, there are three drops, which is from his little poem that or riddle that he sent in the letter. And then Indiana Jones, like three drops. And then all of a sudden they go over a huge waterfall. Mm hmm. And they all managed to clamber back onto the vehicle. And then there's two more. <laughs> yes. Each one progressively larger. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the last one, they lose the vehicle for sure. But not their lives, limbs, or any injury. <laughs> right. <laughs> They're not even really coughing water. No. <laughs> That'd be cool if they all just got out and they were dry. <laughs> it was the skull. It took care of us. Right. It just made skull noises. And it we repels water and ants and gravity. <laughs> <laughs> and attracts gold. It's weird. <laughs> and attracts gold. Yes. <laughs> That's interesting. I just thought of that. Like when they are in the grave and uh, they find the skull and it like grabs something metal and then it grabs like some gold coins and then Shia's like he's like because uh, Indiana's like whoa it's like magnetic and Shia's like gold isn't magnetic man <laughs> right. and then at the end that's of the, a direct quote by the way yes <laughs> yeah right at the end of the movie like the entire little like city or the little area is supposed to be made out of gold it feels like that skull should just be like Stuck to the wall. Stuck to one of the walls, right. (laughs) Anyway. uh, So Jones and Oxley uh, identify this rock formation that looks like a face, and he says something about the riddle, like the tears or something. And this is the path to Akator. So meanwhile, we see Colonel Doctor picking up blinking red uh, transceivers that show where Jones and the mystery gang went. Um, they look a little too small for 1957, but what do I know? Mm-hmm. So much chatter. Uh, and then uh, they, when they enter the city, they are immediately uh, sort of, uh, are they, I wouldn't say they're attacked. They're stalked by many, 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 many people <laughs> who apparently guard the city. Um but as soon as uh, Oxley whips out <laughs> whips out his uh, crystal skull, uh, <laughs> oh boy. the city guardians are like, whoa, okay. And they like bow or whatever. So they gain access uh, to the temple by uh, climbing to the top of this thing. And then um, Oxley starts like pulling on these little face sculpture right. stone things. Mm-hmm. And eventually they pull them all off and this sand empties and that drops this big uh, stone. What do you want to call it? A Obelisk. monolith. Yes, there you go. And it opens the temple. Right. So they, oh, they enter into the uh, sort of antechamber that has a whole bunch of different artifacts from around the world and different time periods like. India and China, lots of different ancient civilizations. And he realizes that, you know, he's actually 
um, a kindred spirit that they're they're explorers and archaeologists and collectors. Mm-hmm. And then they realize that there's a uh, what would you call it like a uh, a sarcophagus of sorts that has a uh, outline of one of the alien bodies on it, and um, Indiana Jones realizes that uh, the the skull is essentially the key to get past that. Uh, and so he, uh, they open it up and, uh, Indiana Jones lifts the skull up to where it would go, uh, on this outline of the alien essentially. And, uh, lo and behold, presumably because of some kind of gold magnetism, uh, (laughs) everything unlocks and they are, uh, permitted entry, uh, into the, uh, I don't know, Chamber of Secrets. <laughs> just, yeah, the opening of the door seemed very, like, I, it didn't even seem like it was near it or that it, it just sort of was close enough. Yeah, right. It, it, was, uh, it was one of the many sort of plot lines that was a little vague for me. It was It was a little strange. Like, there were these two, like, wheel like lynch pins up at the top that just kind of popped all of a sudden and they and they slid down and then the uh the door itself was like a series of uh of stone slabs that kind of go down at a 45 degree angle it it was kind of like what was if the lynch pin was at the top what was holding them up <laughs> i don't understand once again Skulls, gravity, science, science. Yeah, <laughs> we are not meant to understand these aliens. <laughs> right. Clearly, right. <laughs> so they find uh, a chamber containing the crystal skeletons of thirteen um, throned skeletal crystal beings. Well, one of them is missing its skull. Um. So as they're like pontificating that, Colonel Doctor arrives and she takes the skull from Ox and presents it to the skeleton missing his head. Um, it suddenly flies from her hands to the skeleton and uh, rejoins uh, whereupon the aliens reanimate and telepathically offer a war- reward in ancient Mayan language through Oxley. Um and so Oxley says, like, this portal to another dimension is opening above them. Um, and Colonel Doctor is like, no, I, I want to have knowledge. I want to have your knowledge before you leave. And then sort of like as the outside of the room starts crumbling and swirling uh, and the portal forms, um, the 13 beings sort of start spinning and fuse into one and all of a sudden it has skin and uh, <laughs> and in the process of receiving all this overwhelming knowledge from uh, this alien being standing in front of her uh, Colonel Doctor is disintegrated and sucked into the portal <laughs> well and we learned that they're actually not really officially aliens but they're interdimensional beings right I have more on that for sure. <laughs> um, 
So anyway, Indy, uh, Marion, Mutt, and Oxley escape. They they go running and they find what they find like a a room that's just like a dead end. But then like a bunch of water comes flying at them and it shoots them up to the top where there's a hole. Uh, that was fun. It was like a water elevator. Mm-hmm. And all the Soviets, of course, are drawn into this other dimensional portal. And, uh, well, prior to that, Mac is still trying to fill his pockets with stuff from that, uh, little chamber. And, uh, and so he's, uh, as he's scrounging those treasures, like Indiana's like, you know, throws his whip out and he's like, I'll pull you to safety. And it's, it's kind of weird. Mac's like, oh, Jonesy, it's okay. I'm going to be all right. And then he lets go. So that was weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so. The rest of them, they survive and they uh, watch as the temple walls crumble. And it reveals a flying saucer sort of rising from the debris. And then it vanishes into the space between spaces, Oxley tells us. Um, <laughs> yes. While the, while the hollow in the valley floor uh, left by its departure is sort of flooded with waters from the river. Um, and then we sort of, uh, from there we jump right into the, I think it says like the following year or something, doesn't it? Um, and Indy is reinstated at the college. He's like an associate dean. They're painting it on his door. Um, he and Marion are at a church being married. And Mm -hmm. as the wedding party leaves the chapel, a gust of wind, uh, blows open the doors and Indy's uh, brown fedora off the coat rack and deposited, deposits it at Mutt's feet. And he picks it up and is about to put it on uh, before Indy takes it from him and puts it on with his trademark grin. <laughs> Boom. Thus That's, preventing a sequel starring Mutt Williams. <laughs> yes, the most terrifying scene in the movie. <laughs> Mutt Williams and the rocket to another franchise. Yes. I'm now imagining that. Sorry. Um, Sorry about that. No, I'm I'm thinking about how much fun it would be. It would be less, since he didn't go to school, it would be less, you know, educational. (laughs) He'd be like, that's pretty. It'd be like watching Mike Tyson's Mysteries, I think. (laughs) Starring Shia LaBeouf. Um, <clears throat> so yes, I watched uh, DVD extra. I think it was it what what was it? I can't even talk. I watched a DVD extra on YouTube, I believe. Um, I'll sh- I should have saved that link uh, for show notes. Um, but uh, yeah, so I guess the story goes that uh, Spielberg was never solid on the whole alien thing, but he's like, you know what? It's your story. It's your movie. I'm going to do what you want. You're my friend. Cool. Hmm. And then uh, as they were making this or putting the script together and stuff, um, Independence Day 4 came out. Or Independence Day, not Independence Day 4. (laughs) Um, Indiana Jones 4. Uh, Independence Day came out. And uh, Spielberg is like, this is a great movie. It's got aliens. We really shouldn't do aliens. Let's not do aliens. And then 
uh, in this DVD extra, George Lucas is like, yeah, he was right. Like, you know, aliens sort of took off and it was kind of a big thing. And now it's going to look like we're just wanting to be like everyone else. So I came up with the idea that they're interdimensional beings. They're not aliens. And I was just like, no, what? <laughs> right. Yeah. And so, yet they have a nice circular flying saucer that mm-hmm. they disappear in. Yeah. Yeah. Potato, potato. Right. Yeah. It is interesting, too, that, uh, I mean, I guess from their standpoint, the whole idea was um, they were, since the movie takes place in the 50s, they were kind of for the aliens. They were embracing sort of the B-movie culture, and that that's what they used for a lot of their ideas, like the flying mm-hmm. saucer and stuff. So that's kind of interesting, but yeah, it's really confusing because you're like, wait, there's a flying saucer even though a portal to another dimension just mm-hmm. opened and the people are being sucked <laughs> in? Like, uh, yeah, that whole part was a little bit confusing for moi. <laughs> um so, yeah, it's uh, probably one of those where it gets a little weird when it comes to this question that we ask on the show. But uh, is it so bad that it's good or is it just bad or is it just good? I guess in some cases we run into. Well, uh, we talked about it a little bit up front. Um, I think it gets a bad rap. Um <clears throat> I think the biggest reason it gets a bad rap is because it's supposed to be an Indiana Jones movie, mm-hmm. um, and it's supposed to feel like it fits in with the other three of the franchise. And for a lot of reasons, it doesn't feel right as an Indiana Jones movie, um, some of which we've talked about. Uh, part of it certainly being that um, you know it's all happening 30 years later, um and or 20 years later and uh it's also um there's no I, there can't be nazis in it because it's happening after that in the you know sort of timeline of the movie um and so we have to sort of insert a different uh menacing um foe even though uh as it turns out not really that menacing ultimately <laughs> um and it, it it just ne- it never quite connects but if it were a standalone movie if it were like just called the kingdom of the crystal skull and the main character that was in it wasn't actually indiana jones it was just some kind of an action movie uh that presumably probably had nicolas cage instead um i think it would probably be considered a fun decent movie and uh as you said it it got a it has a 75 percent on rotten mm-hmm. tomatoes something like that so you know it the the reason it gets the reason it gets uh sort of shafted i think by the by the fandom is because it doesn't fit with indiana jones but it's not necessarily a bad movie um on the other hand, I don't think it's the greatest movie that I've ever watched either. Um, but I feel like I want to put it in the so bad it's good category because it's a bad Indiana Jones movie, but it's st- it's still entertaining to watch. I had fun watching it again, surprisingly. I thought I didn't think I was going to have that much fun watching it because I think I had sort of reconstructed it in my head since seeing it in the theater as something uh, that was like 
an abomination of some kind. And <laughs> it actually wasn't. I had a lot of fun watching it. It's silly. But I enjoyed it. Um. Yeah, I... My... I have three problems with it. <laughs> One, I was asked to watch it for Film Frown. So that always puts you in a headspace of, oh, this is going to be a bad movie, whether it should be so bad, it's good. Like, so you're kind of getting excited. Maybe it's like so corny, it's good, or yeah. it's so bad, it's bad. So you kind of view it more critically. I don't usually watch movies all that critically. Mm, um, sure. I kind of just you know watch them for what they're intended right you lose yourself in them hopefully my second problem is that i uh, played the lego game <laughs> first <laughs> which was really confusing actually because chris is like don't you know what's going on i'm like i have no idea because i've never seen this movie <laughs> um, right so yeah and those lego just... games actually don't have very much exposition to them you kind of just play them <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i think they were it was like all the indiana jones um, and then this was one of the worlds that you went to. So it was a little distracting as well, like kind of going, oh, right, this is, that's why that happened in the game. So um, and then I think my third my my real thing was I never and maybe it's because I hadn't watched the other Indiana Jones in such a long time, but I didn't feel connected to any of the characters other than Indiana Jones. Like I didn't feel like mm-hmm. they developed enough um through dialogue or whatever it was like um it was sort of like hey i'm your dad okay i'm your dad like it was mm-hmm. yeah you no know, i i could have cared less if that was his son or not i didn't feel that you know i know they had tried to build some tension um of him as the wild young guy and you know impulsive but i never really felt anything was developed fully they were relying on nostalgia for you to feel connected to the characters, even like the the little romance. Like I didn't really care that they got together. Um, that was my biggest issue is I, I felt that they relied on um, your previous experience to make you care about the characters. Yeah, I, that's a good point. I feel like there was the other thing that you mentioned when we were watching the movie and I also read that in some um, in the Wikipedia page too. Is that uh, doesn't exactly portray say the native people <laughs> in very good light, right? Well, yeah, yeah. The <clears throat> Aboriginal people throughout the movie are um, seem to all be kind of sort of savage crazies guarding something, but you never again they're never fleshed out, right? They're yeah, not. but. Um, yeah, I think if I had watched it without having played the game or, you know, with the caveat of, oh, we're watching it for film from, I probably would have enjoyed it more than I, I did. It was more of an academic kind of experience, <laughs> as much as film from can be academic. <laughs> um, it's a good point, though. Like, I definitely felt like you, you're, what you said was good. I don't even know why I need to add to it, but like they were relying on the nostalgia or the fact that the story is continuing so they didn't need to develop the characters, mm-hmm. but they introduced so many new characters that they just felt like we didn't need to introduce. Like, you get it. Um, so that that seemed kind of like a, a lazy thing uh, to it, do. It, it is kind of strange, too, that they did bring back um, Marion, and then, you know, they connected him with, uh, with Mutt Williams by making him their child um 
just because no, I don't. She never comes back in any of the other Indiana Jones movies, right? She's in she's in Raiders, and yeah. then and then she's not not mentioned again. It's kind of more typical that a Indiana Jones movie, the only common character is Indiana Jones, and all of the rest of the characters are kind of uh, sort of in and out and introduced for the purposes of that movie and whatever the plot is. Um, so it, it's another way in which this particular movie doesn't fit with the rest of the series because now there's this second character that shows up and, and you know, is a continuing character and uh, is on the adventure as well. And it's a little, that's a little odd, actually. Yeah, so before I sort of give my say, I wanted to say, because you guys are making me think about it, um, Ebert gave this movie like a 3.5, um, stars and he said it was the same old same old but that <laughs> that's the way he wants it with an Indiana Jones movie right so sure yeah he kind of like backward backward complimented the whole thing um <laughs> but personally like like Colette saying about the nostalgia like they're relying on that I personally I think like that probably would have been better received and then even Ebert's comment of same old same old these are both, to me, influenced by the fact that this sequel happens 19 years after the movie. The last movie came out in like 80 or 92, I think, or 89. 89 was The Last Crusade, maybe. So mm-hmm. so you've got all this time passing. And so it's really awkward, which is interesting just to talk about how this sequel shows up almost 20 years after the last movie was made because – there's also these Star Wars, the Star Wars movie coming out, but no spoilers there. Right. <laughs> that came out, but uh, it's kind of a similar situation. So, uh, yeah. But, but. Although but, I would say better execution <laughs> if you've the, seen it. <clears throat> pardon me. The critical reviews of this movie, uh, some of them that I read, they're all hit on the same point where they feel like a lot of the performances in this film were phoned in, like the actors were in the directing, maybe even were going through the motion. Mm. And that's certainly how I felt when I saw this the first time, like in the theaters, like, you know, kind of to your point, uh, Paul, when you were saying in the beginning, like it just seemed really awkward, like it was filmed on a set and mm-hmm. like there was some energy missing there. Um, and yeah, this time I didn't notice it as much, honestly. And I, I wondered, like, you know, Colette said, and it's something that uh, I'll discuss in a second here, but, uh, you know, she said, you know, it's different watching a movie for a film frown. Like, that's sort of influenced it. But I also think, for me, I'm starting to feel a little bit overwhelmed by all the dark, dramatic stuff that action movies have these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like Die Hard is just a fun movie. And yeah, there's some dark parts where he's shooting guys with machine guns and putting ho, ho, ho and blood on their shirts, but it's just <laughs> a fun movie. And this movie um, was just kind of a fun romp as well. It's not like so dark as like, uh, you know, like the last Fantastic Four movie that was just in theaters. Like, there's yeah. literally nothing funny or laughable in that film. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, 
I think that sort of influenced my view. I like exactly. I you know I'm also influenced by Paul's opinion that it's as an Indiana Jones movie. This one is bad, but it's good for a bad movie. So yeah, I would almost say that this is so bad it's good. Like those comical things of like him being Tarzan and nuking the fridge are like so over the top. Like yes, <laughs> right, yeah. That's uh, that's where I'm at. Cool. And Tina disliked the movie so much that she's gone. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> she started thinking about it and needed a drink. <laughs> <laughs> and now she's uh, making, building a still. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that is the film. Uh, what else do we do on this show? Yeah. Um, I think we've gone long enough and thank you so much for listening. Thanks to Colette for filling in for my synopsis notes as <laughs> I off to death a few times. I didn't think I would be bothered so much. Education helps you read. Yeah. I was talking to myself all day to keep my voice warmed up. So I wouldn't do that. Uh, so yeah. And, uh, thanks to Tina for joining us and, uh, also, what else do we do? Oh, we have to do the whole like uh, signy off thing. Do you do you want to be found or want anything to do with this podcast, Colette? Or no? <laughs> My name's actually not Colette. There you go. Uh, yeah, I have no idea who you are. Don't call me. Thank you for joining us, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> I can be found usually on the couch on Thursdays as a podcast widow. Uh, or otherwise on uh, Twitter at Sunday Ideas. <laughs> uh, and Paul, where do we find Paul? I can be found on Twitter at Paul D, P A U L D, or uh, you can go to my uh, very lovely website at padizio.com, P A D I Z I O.com, and there you will find many links to other things which I do as well. <laughs> <laughs> like plate spinning um, yes <laughs> uh, and you can find me on the twitters at uh, sick days how appropriate it's s-i-k-k-d-a-y-s though um, but appropriate for this show since I was dying of sickness um, and you can also find my new blog which I totally want you to check out if you are a regular listener or a new listener at uh, save this dot space. My, what a good name! I know. I wonder that where is I a got good one. Um, because my latest post, as of the live show, who knows when you find <laughs> the blog after we post this later? Uh, but my <laughs> latest blog post is called uh, "What's Next for Film Frown Season 4 or something to that effect. So definitely check it out and tweet at me or tweet at film frown on Twitter or catch us on Facebook and let us know what you think of the things I put in that post. Um, cause I have some ideas for the next season and I want your inputs. So that's that next Thursday. If, uh, I'm able to talk, we'll probably be doing a Montreal sauce the first of the new year. And then the th following Thursday, January 21st, is our last film frown of the season. And it is Supergirl from the 80s. Boosh. Awesome. And uh, 
and Jacob Cook will be back. His hat is like a shark fin. Um, it's true. <laughs> and also, <laughs> uh, I hope to have Jen Montez with us as well. Excellent. So, should be lots of fun. Again, thanks for listening. And uh, yes, it's sign-off time. So remember, wherever you are, there you are. It's a quote from Buckaroo Banzai, a bad movie that I now have to make Colette watch when we sign off. (laughs) Good night, everyone. (laughs) The groan. The groan.